back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. And it's the wide receiver apocalypse today on the show. We're, we're creeping towards camp. We're about two weeks until camp opens up. And then we're going to start seeing breaking news. We're going to see players getting cut. Before the show, we were just talking about maybe we see, you know, the Falcons go after a running back that might get cut like a James mm-hmm. White or Sonny Michelle. I just, I'm excited for actual transactions to start happening again in the NFL. Alex, we got a lot to get into today on this show. You ready to get into it? I am. And I'm just going to throw out some teasers. We're talking Bucks wide receivers. We're talking Denver Broncos wide receivers. Guys like Chris Godwin, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Plus some bonus guys we love in the mid rounds as well. So it is a wide receiver heavy episode. This should give you everything you need with several of these players to know whether you should be smashing that draft button um, when when your draft comes around. So I'm hyped to get into it right before we started recording. I just picked up my first share of Jonathan Taylor in our Double Move Sports Dynasty League. So I am super hyped about that. We started that league from our Discord, which is in the link in the description below. Free to join. We're starting leagues in there. We're answering trade questions, talking about drafts, talking about best ball, talking about everything fantasy football you could ever imagine. So join if you haven't already and ride with us through the 2021 season. Let's get it. And last thing, we'll plug a like and a sub on YouTube. Huge for us, huge for the algorithms, helps the channel grow. Let's start by commemorating the Bud Light that you're drinking right now. You can hold that up to the screen. (laughs) Okay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, the, the cat is out of the bag on all their pass-catching weapons. All of the ADPs are pretty high, to be honest with you. Even, even when I look mm-hmm. at Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, everyone knows what this offense is going to be. The unknown variable that we had last year in this offense. And I remember going to war on Twitter with guys that saying Tom Brady was washed after his 2019 season because he had a low average depth of target throwing to Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers and... And sitting here just trying to project how things are going to go this season, it feels like the Buccaneers are going to be unstoppable. But there's so much variance in the pass-catching volume for each of the weapons week to week that it feels like there's a capped ceiling unless one of these guys go down. And I'm talking about Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones. Like, can all of these guys eat? Can they all outproduce each other's ADPs in redraft leagues right now? I think if you do that, what you're saying is you're projecting for this offense to be a historic offense, to be one of the best offenses that we've seen ever in the history of the sport, at least in the modern era of professional football. And they were already sixth in the NFL in pass attempts last year, second in yards per game, second in touchdowns in the league. So if you think things will be a lot better this year than last year for Tampa Bay on offense, then sure. I don't mind the ADPs at the end of the day. But Alex, how do you feel about these receivers going into 2021 redraft leagues? Yeah, the receivers specifically are all interesting. And I honestly am fine with all three of them on my roster, and that's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown. Right now, you've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin going in the fourth round, Evans early in the fourth round. 
an AB on underdog is going in the eighth round, but on fantasy pros ADP, he's going in the back of the ninth round. So AB is really the value of this group. And I'm going to talk about him specifically a little bit later on in the show. But when I look at these three guys, I'm happy with any of them on my roster. You do prefer, you know, Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. They are going to be the one and two on this team. But Antonio Brown's going to going to put up some numbers as well. When you look at the eight game split from last season, when all three were on the field at the same time, Mike Evans was the wide receiver 11. Chris Godwin was the wide receiver 17. And Antonio Brown was the wide receiver 22 over that eight game span. So all three were in that wide receiver two range. All three were performing for your fantasy football team. There were some ups and downs in those weeks. From those numbers, you see Mike Evans and Godwin were the most consistent of the three. But it's one of those situations where because all three are going to demand targets, because each of them are going to have their boom weeks, it's going to take away some of that season-long upside. I think all three of these guys have week-to-week upside and can boom. I mean, we even saw Antonio Brown boom for a massive game at the end of the season, 11 receptions, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. We see Mike Evans going from, you know, an 100-yard, two-touchdown game to a one-catch, four-yard, one-touchdown game. So we're going to see some variance week over week. But on the season, I like all three guys. I'm personally going to prefer to take Antonio Brown at his current value just because you can get him four or five rounds later. And I don't think you're necessarily sacrificing that much production on a week-over-week basis. Um, and with, with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I think they're fine, but because there are so many mouths to feed, I think they lack some of that upside to finish as a top five wide receiver, unless one of the other two guys goes down. Antonio Brown should be a locked in wide receiver two in fantasy. At least it feels that way. And if you look at their target share, you know, for the games they Mm -hmm. played Antonio Brown in eight games, 19.9% target share. We had games where Tom Brady was just force feeding Antonio Brown at times. Godwin with an 18.9% target share in 12 games. He did see the lowest red zone targets of the three by a decent amount. And then we had Mike Evans had 13 touchdowns on the year. I think he could absolutely repeat that this season. Only an 18% target share in 16 games. You know, some of those he was a decoy. And and that seems to happen, you know, once a season with Mike Evans. What's interesting, though, is that all these wide receivers had pretty low ADOTs. Nobody was really, you know, hyper-efficient and getting downfield, getting these deep targets. And I think in most drafts, if you're going to have to take one of these guys, it's it's got to be Antonio Brown. Just take the cheapest one. It's a small difference between which of the three are probably going to pop off this season, at least from what we can mm-hmm. project right now. They all should have solid floors, though, because Brady's going to keep the offense humming. Everyone knows the the Bucks offense is going to be good. There's there's a bias right now in fantasy drafts, and, and I talked about it when we talked about Clyde Edwards-Alaire last week. That's why he went too high in 2020 drafts. That's why we see DeAndre Swift and Miles Sanders. Alex, I know you in a recent draft were able to get Miles Sanders at the 508. I mean, just because people are, I don't know, scared of the Eagles offense. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> you know, in, in Dynasty, we tout drafting players with production and measurables over where they land. And, and it's the same in redraft leagues right now. So I don't want to get caught up in the Tampa Bay hype train and, and overdraft these guys. And I love it because it actually creates even more value later on down the draft board. Uh, because in most leagues, I think I think these guys are going to go way too early. You know, if you don't love... Godwin or Evans as your wide receiver one this year because you're going to have to take them at the three four turn 
in a redraft league, why not wait another four rounds and get Antonio Brown if you want to have a share of this mm-hmm. offense? And if we're looking at wide receiver twos, they're fine options, but you can wait a couple rounds and get the Deontay Johnsons, the Tyler Lockett's, the T. Higgins, Kenny Galladay's, Brandon Ayuk's, Cortland Sutton's. Like the list goes on and on and on of these fine weekly startable wide receiver twos that are probably going to have boom weeks, going to give you a consistent floor. So these aren't really guys that I'm targeting because they're at the top of that tier where especially this season, we do see a pocket of running backs falling down these draft boards like Swift and Sanders. Um, Even J.K. Dobbins in some leagues is falling a lot. Mm -hmm. And then even Chris Carson, Miles Gaskin. So, you know, when we're in these ranges, these guys just aren't ones that I'm targeting. I'm not going to debate you too hard if you're all in on this offense, all in on Tom Brady this year, because they could truly be historic. If we had to pick an offense to project to be historic this season, it would probably be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But... To me, they're overvalued at the moment. I'll be honest with you. I think Godwin and Evans are fine in the fourth round. I I think they're safe. I mean, I mentioned the splits with Antonio Brown last season. Godwin, as a reminder, wide receiver 17. Evans was the wide receiver 11 over that span. So they proved they can be that solid. At best, Evans was the wide receiver 11. So that low-end wide receiver 1 or a high to mid-tier wide receiver two, which in the fourth round, if you're drafting them to be your wide receiver two, I think it's fine. But to me, I do think some of these guys will lose the upside because of how spread the targets are going to be. So if you are in the fourth round and you want to take that moonshot on a guy who is potentially going to be a league winner, maybe you went super, super safe in rounds one, two, and three, and you finally are ready to roll the dice. It's probably not the best bet to go with a, a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin, but if you did take some chances in rounds one, two, and three, maybe some more unproven guys, and you just want a solid, safe, stable wide receiver too, I think you could do much worse than guys like Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. We know they're both hyper-talented, so you know holistically, I don't mind any of these guys. I would love to have any of them on my roster. Would you rather have... Antonio Brown and J.K. Dobbins, or would you rather have Mike Evans and a Damian Harris? And to me, that's a no-brainer. So that's why I'm waiting and taking A.B. later on. And I will talk about him more later and stuff. I know this isn't a quarterback segment, but the 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 underlying take that isn't coming out right now, but it's obvious with what we're saying about this Buccaneers receiving core is that Tom Brady is going to be fantastic this season. If there's going to be anybody who can come out and support all these weapons, it's going to be Tom Brady. So I think the upside for Brady is tremendous. And now in a league where we're seeing rushing quarterbacks have the most upside in fantasy football, I still think it's possible to wait on Tom Brady round seven, round eight, and take a guy who could end up with an Aaron Rodgers-like season from 2020 where he comes out and tosses 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. I think that's in the range of outcomes for Brady. So I definitely like him in drafts as well. Brady had an insane 2020. He was second in the league in passing touchdowns, number one in the league in air yards, third in passing yards, number one in red zone attempts, number one in deep ball attempts. He was slinging the rock last year. And so one of the things we do know, and it's baked into that floor and it's baked into that ADP, is that the receptions that are going to be available for all these pass catchers, including Gronk, including Leonard Fournette, are going to be high-value touches. But Alex, last thing on these these Bucks pass catchers, do you like Gronk this year as just a you know late upside flyer play? Because he actually had some very, very solid games last year, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. 
It all depends on where you get them. I mean, if you're able to punt the tight end position totally and late in your draft, you scoop up a Blake Jarwin and you're able to scoop up a Gronk like deep into the double digit rounds. I like it because Gronk, he's one of those guys where you get into the streamer range and you're really looking for touchdown or bust on a week to week basis. And Gronk put up seven touchdowns in the regular season last year. We saw him get into the end zone uh, in the playoffs as well at a pretty good rate. So if I'm going to punt the tight end position, I don't mind Gronk and just stream him. You hope for a touchdown and you didn't really pay much for him and you pair him with another guy that has breakout potential. The problem is right now, at least on fantasy pros, it looks like Gronk is going in that 10th round range, which to me is still a little bit too high. Over on underdog fantasy, I've been scooping up Gronk in the 15th, 16th round. Like the fall that he's having over there is egregious. So I've been scooping him up late whenever he falls. And if that's something that happens in your draft, by all means, I want to take the flyer on him late. But the 10th round is still a little bit too rich for me. So in my opinion, it all depends on that draft value. If you're going to be able to get him with one of your last picks, by all means, put him on your bench. And maybe he comes out and scores a couple of touchdowns and you don't even need him and you're able to flip him to another tight end needy team. Or if you truly are trying to stream that position, he's the kind of guy that you're going to want. Now, we're talking about a sexy, high-flying offense that's going to put up all these points. Some folks project it to be historic as far as the stats are going to put up. Maybe 3,000-yard wide receivers. But let's shift over to an offense that, for a lot of people, is one they're staying away from. One they're almost fading completely because of the guys that are supposed to be the quarterbacks this year. And it's, it's the Denver Broncos, you know, and I want to really drill down on the question. Can the Broncos pass catchers produce with Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater this season? And, and for me, the primary path to upside for these pass catching weapons for Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, Noah Fant is probably just Drew Locke getting better taking that that step up that we want him to take in year three if we're invested in the Broncos in fantasy. It's just not something I necessarily want to bet on in fantasy drafts right now. Yikes. But for where some of these guys are going, I, I think they're worth drafting. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Sutton and Judy are both going in the sixth round. Noah Fant is going in the eighth round, and those are the the guys we're really going to be targeting here. I know they have Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler, but you and I will both agree those are more late DFS round flyers. If gods. someone ahead, yeah, DFS. If someone else on the depth chart gets hurt, they become maybe streamable, a little bit more interesting waiver names. But we're really talking about Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fan, and I like them all at their value. Uh, I, I did mention Judy and Sutton in the sixth, Fant in the eighth, so I think they're fine at those values. But there's a lot of actually hype around a couple of these guys right now. Noah, uh, Jerry Judy, and Cortland Sutton are generating a lot of buzz in dynasty leagues. And now that's transitioning over to redraft leagues, even though the Denver Broncos offense doesn't get people that excited. And I've been bullish on both of these guys as well, but I'm starting to cool off a little bit. And I got to, I got to paint this out for you, Steph, because when I really started breaking down the numbers and what I expect this Broncos offense to look like, I got a little bit concerned about the overall volume and the expectations that we should have for both of these wide receivers, because You look at Denver back in 2019, okay? Two years ago, they were the 10th-ranked scoring defense. Very, very good defense. They were 27th in pass attempts and 29th in plays. So that's Denver Broncos football. They don't have a quarterback. They have a defensive-minded coach. So they're going to want to be 
a good defensive team that doesn't have to push the pace. And that's what they did in 2019 with some success, you know, relatively. Last season, we saw their defense come back to the 25th scoring defense. So their defense took a step off of a cliff. A lot of that was due to Vaughn Miller getting hurt. They moved up to 19th in pass attempts and 15th in play. So even with a terrible defense, they were still middle of the pack in terms of their offensive pace of play. And when I look to 2021, you look at what this team has done defensively, and I think they're going to be one of the top units in the league. They get Vaughn Miller back. They sign Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller at cornerback, two very, very good veterans. And they draft Patrick Sertan in round one. So this defense got so much better from a personnel standpoint. Pro Football Focus ranks every unit of a team heading into the season. They have the Broncos D-line ranked 10th. They have the linebackers ranked fourth and the secondary ranked first. So the expectation is for this to be a lock of a top 10 defense, maybe a top five defense in 2021. And with that being the case, if they're able to shut people down, I think we're going to see that 2019 mold where they had a really good defense and they were low in attempts and they were low in pace of play. And that concerns me for the overall output of this offense in 2021 and You mentioned Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback play improving. Obviously, that's going to help the wide receivers. But if the volume isn't there, I still don't know that it can be done because we have seen examples in the past. Say we give them the benefit of the doubt. Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, whoever ends up being the quarterback, plays decent, but the volume's low. We've seen examples of low-volume passing attempt teams supporting two elite fantasy football wide receivers. We saw it from Minnesota last season. We've seen it from Seattle And in Tennessee, we expect it to happen this year with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So it's not that it can't be done, but when you look at Minnesota, when you look at Seattle, and you look at Tennessee, they all have a few things in common. And the first is an efficient quarterback. So that is step one. You mentioned it. That's step one. You got Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, and Russell Wilson, who were all top eight in terms of passer rating last season. Bridgewater and Locke were 22nd and 32nd, respectively. So they do need to step it up. Second, when you look at those teams, they don't have a tight end of consequence in terms of targets. Jacob Hollister was the target leader in Seattle at the tight end position last season with 40. Irv Smith in Minnesota with 43 targets. And then Johnny Smith only had 65 targets. Like He got some hype last season, but he was not being heavily targeted. He's not there this season um, with the Julio Jones, A.J. Brown hype. And I know Ferkser is still there, and he's going to see some targets, but he's not commanding this massive target share. So if you're going to have these funneled two wide receivers, you don't want a tight end of consequence in terms of target volume. And Noah Fant last year had 93 targets in 15 games. So you've got an athletic tight end on a 100-target pace, and he is going to command some volume. So that's just another red flag for me for Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy both being effective at the same time. And then you just have to look at the talent. In Seattle, you have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. So elite. In Tennessee for this season with Julio and A.J. Brown, that's insane. And then last year, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen's a great combo. So I think Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are great players. The potential is there. But you hear the names I'm saying, like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are not on that level yet. So... All those things coming together makes me concerned that both Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are going to return on their ADPs. And honestly, I think there are two outcomes in Denver. One is that both Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton have fine seasons. They're somewhere from wide receiver 20 to 24, low end wide receiver twos. And four, you got them in the sixth round. 
you're happy. They were solid, but they weren't league winners. The other outcome I see is one of those two guys really taking a step up and taking over the passing game in Denver, over-indexing in touchdowns, over-indexing in big plays, and that coming at the expense of the other guy. So, for example, if we see Jerry Judy come out for 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns, I think that's going to mean Cortland Sutton, from a volume perspective, is going to have under-indexed a little bit in the touchdown category and on some of those big plays. So in that scenario, you'd be happy with Judy, not happy with Sutton. It could flip-flop because I think both guys are talented. So I think both of these guys being top 15 is out of the question. But I do still think in the sixth round, you can return on that ADP. So I know that was very long-winded, Steph, but um, it's a long way of saying I like both players, I like both of their talents, but I don't think they're as big of a steal in the sixth round as I originally thought. Great points. Great points right there. And and I want to take a second to dive a little bit deeper into the quarterback situation. Because, you know, as you, as you laid it out, the, the true path to that upside being there, unless, you know, barring injury, barring some crazy change in offensive philosophy that we can't bet on, we, we got to hope that either Drew Locke ascends or that Teddy Bridgewater can get the job done. I mean, last year, Drew Locke was Ryan Fitz magic without the magic. I mean, he was fourth <laughs> in air yards per pass, 11th in the NFL in deep ball attempts in just 13 games, but he had a 16 to 15 touchdown to interception ratio. Yikes. Think about that 16 touchdowns on 13 games. That's not getting it done. He couldn't complete a pass. He had the lowest completion percentage of any NFL quarterback, the absolute lowest. Worse than Sam Darnold, worse than Dwayne Haskins, worse than Daniel Jones, worse than Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. That it's awful. And he was 37th in the league with a league with 32 teams in (laughs) true completion percentage per player profiler, where they remove throwaways, they remove drops. So looking at true completion percentage, it's even worse. I think the only way he starts more than half the season is if he Mm. does take that step up, which would be a good sign for the weapons. And then we look at Teddy Bridgewater. His career path is essentially, you know, he went to New Orleans and perfected playing the Drew Brees role for an offense, but without all the fun parts. So he's super accurate. He's almost the antithesis of Drew Locke. He's super accurate. Fifth highest completion percentage in the NFL last year. He can rack up yardage in a game. And if you look at his yardage totals on the season, they're not, they're not an eyesore. They're not terrible, but he's racking up that production with, with dink and dunk conservative passes. And it's fine for fantasy. I think it gives all these pass catchers a nice floor. They can be fine wide receiver twos, but Teddy Bridgewater, what we do know is that he's not going to absolutely crater the production of these wide receivers like Drew Locke will. And we just saw Teddy Bridgewater in a very slow pace of play offense granted they did have a terrible defense in Carolina last year but Teddy Bridgewater supported two wide receivers with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore they were both over a thousand yards last year you know both of them finished the year as low-end wide receiver twos neither of them had more than four touchdowns because just like Drew Locke and his low touchdown volume Teddy Bridgewater only threw 15 touchdowns in 15 games and he had a three percent touchdown rate dead last in the NFL so He wasn't an electric passer. That's really never been the player that he is, even starting his career back in 2014 in Minnesota. He rarely throws the ball deep, less than four times per per game on average. So when I look at 
Teddy Bridgewater coming in with Drew Locke cratering. It's like, mm. where where does the upside really come in here? But I think the floor is going to be enough. You know, and to your point, you know, maybe Jerry Judy can play that Robbie Anderson role. Cortland Sutton can play that DJ Moore role, which for their ADPs, I think is completely fine. Just not getting necessarily overly excited. Steph, who do you think who do you think starts at quarterback this year? If you had to guess, I know we're still before camp. You know, the Rodgers rumors are still swirling, but you and I both believe that's not happening. You never know. But if it's Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater, who do you think's the starter week one? And who do you think starts more games this season? I think they're going to start with Drew Locke just because he is the guy. Interesting. But it, this thing this thing could turn south really, I think they're really going quick. Teddy. I think they're going Teddy. I think, you think they're done? Based on what we've laid out with the strong defense wanting to win these low scoring games. It's going to be less about what these quarterbacks can do, but more about what they don't do. It's going to be less about the amazing arm talent across your body, 60 yard bomb across the field and more about not throwing a stupid interception in the fourth quarter. And then Teddy Bridgewater, I think they can get that game manager. You think about the Jimmy G role and San Francisco went to the Super Bowl. Great point. The Broncos are going to make it. They're going to get there with that mold rather than with the Patrick Mahomes gunslinger mold that Drew Locke in an alternate universe would bring this off. And so I think it's going to be Teddy. I think it should be Teddy, but who really knows? Yeah, I think Teddy will start more. The the thing that holds me is not only Drew Locke was the guy, they also invested an early second round pick into Drew Locke. I think they're going to try to give him one more chance, give him one more true offseason to prepare, see what he can do. And if things start to go south, it's, it's to that game manager role. But Alex, I want to talk for a second about, you know, who you would expect if you had to say right now, as far as Sutton and Judy, you know, Sutton's going four spots higher in ADP currently on underdog. And I, I think I agree with the consensus. I, I think he's a safe floor, but weekly high upside receiver. And he plays the alpha receiver role, right? He'll be on the outside playing X, making big plays over defenders, breaking tackles, scoring touchdowns. You know, as much as those plays might not be there, that's the type of player that Sutton is. And in 2019, he was a low-end wide receiver too. In his second year in the league, with that quarterback carousel of Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, Drew Locke, and was still able to put up over 1,100 yards, six touchdowns, and saw a 26% target share. I mean, this guy is a target magnet all over the field, getting targets deep downfield, was 11th in 2019 in deep targets. He played the Allen Robinson role for the Broncos to a T as this target hog Mm -hmm. X receiver with bad quarterback play that could still carry an offense's production. And Sutton's an athletic freak, 6'3", 218 pounds, has deep speed, runs a 4'5", 4'4". At at his size, that's absolutely moving. And if Jerry Judy, let's just say he does emerge, I still think that leaves Sutton as the 1A, assuming good health, you are getting that injury discount from last year and same thing you're seeing it with Saquon Barkley right now you're getting the injury discount baked into the ADP which to me makes Sutton the guy that I'm targeting in this range because I think he's a safe option with boom potential on a week-to-week basis a great deep wide receiver two flex name that you can bank on in the sixth round if you go running back early if you go early tight end or quarterback you can always circle back and get Sutton later and I think there's two ways you can look at them. You could look at Sutton as a very solid option in that Kenny Galladay, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool tier. Or you could view him as the best of the Devonta Smith, 
Jerry Judy, Debo Samuel, Michael Gallup tier. So he's just in that range, low end wide receiver two right now. I I think that's a great spot for him to be. You're really drafting him, in my opinion, at his floor. And with Drew Locke's rookie season in 2019, he gave Sutton some relatively high scoring weeks. He had a 23 point week, nine, 12, and nine point weeks after that. But in 2019, I did do a film breakdown. You can find that on our channel where I went through the film. I looked at the quality of the targets that he was getting, where those targets were coming from, and what he was doing on the field. And what I found was in that 2019 season, Cortland Sutton was wide open. He was targeted a ton near the goal line. He was still efficient with his receptions. He was top 20 in the NFL in yards per reception, top 10 in red zone receptions. I see the potential. I see the path for high-scoring fantasy output from Cortland Sutton. So he's my pick. Alex, where are you at of the two, Judy and Sutton? It's interesting because we just talked about Tampa and we talked about Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And in a lot of ways, I see Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy being like a takedown <laughs> version of that situation. Godwin Evans light. Two, yeah, you've got two guys that at the end of the season, their fantasy points are probably going to be pretty close, but how they got there is probably going to be Cortland Sutton a little bit more consistent and Jerry Judy more up and down, if I was guessing. Kind of like in Tampa, you've got Mike Evans, who's going to be more boomer bust, and Godwin, who should be more consistent. So right now, I'm probably going to take Cortland Sutton. I'm going to take the incumbent, the guy we've seen it from in the past, but I do think Jerry Judy has higher upside just you know that upside in the unknown that you and I always like to talk about. But again, both of these guys in the sixth round I'm willing to take. I think the most reasonable outcome is for both of them to end up in that low-end wide receiver two range, which is going to make you very happy with where you drafted them. And if one of these guys is going to step up and emerge and is going to give you that explosive breakout season, if I was putting my money on it, I'd put it on Jerry Judy, which could come at the expense of Cortland Sutton. But both these guys are so talented, you never really know. So I'm going to lean right now, Cortland Sutton. But if I want to take that home run swing in round six, I have no problem with Jerry Judy whatsoever. It's almost a roster construction situation as far as who you're going to go for. If Mm -hmm. you feel set, you feel stacked, and you want to add another wide receiver that could break out, maybe you lean Judy there because he was seeing deep targets last year. Granted, there was no Cortland Sutton. But was seeing a 21% target share, I think he could easily repeat that again and was actually efficient from the receptions that he caught. Granted, he didn't catch many of the balls thrown his way because they were coming from (laughs) Drew Locke. But let's talk about Noah Fant. Right now he's going in the early eighth. A little too early for me, but I don't hate it. I I don't hate that value because we know Noah Fant's good. He was banged up for a lot of last year and was still the tight end 12 on the season. He's an athletic monster at 96 percentile or better in all athleticism metrics. So if you like Kyle Pitts, you should like Noah Fant. And Noah Fant's kind of the anti-argument against Pitts. Is like athletic freaks don't always explode. But if you're going to get excited for Pitts, you got to still be excited for Fant, you know, even in the situation that he's in. And he averaged 50 yards a game and four and a half receptions per game last season at the tight end position. That's actually a very solid floor, a nine-point floor, which unless you had a top five tight end last year, you would have taken nine PPR points all day at the tight end spot. And people are nervous about Fant with both Judy and Sutton being there. I'm sure he's going to have games where he's not targeted that much, but still saw a 19% target share last season. 
which was sixth at the tight end position. So he is able to command targets the year before with just Sutton and no Judy at a 14% target share. My guess is he lands somewhere between that 14 to 19% range. So unless you believe that fans just going to get phased out of the offense completely, I don't think there's a true reason to fade Fant at his ADP unless you're playing drafts like Alex and I, which is, you know, either take a tight end early like Waller in the second and then just grab upside shots later in the draft like Adam Troutman, like we just talked about Rob Gronkowski. So Mm -hmm. I'm waiting longer for that tight end spot. But if you're one of those guys that you need to have something to fill that gap at the tight end spot, Fant is fine in the eighth round. I, sure. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hurt you for that. Yeah, I don't mind him in the eighth. And honestly, if he's there for me in the ninth or tenth, if he falls, I'm willing to scoop him up in those middle rounds because you said it. We typically like to go all or nothing at the tight end spot. But if I'm going to take a tight end, you know, anything ahead of the tenth round, if I'm going to take a tight end in the single digit rounds, I want a guy who has the ability to take an 80 yard touchdown to the house. If I'm going to draft a tight end, with that kind of draft capital in my fantasy league, I want someone who can make those boom explosive plays. And Noah Fant can do it arguably better than any other tight end in the league with his speed and his explosiveness. Even so, if it's Teddy really Bridgewater only, throwing him five yard inside yeah. routes all day, take it. He can be fine. He's he's like the new version of Evan Ingram. And Evan Ingram battled injuries. He never really panned out to that full potential. I still think Noah Fant has a chance to get there. The weird thing about Noah Fan is that everyone was in on him as this sleeper last season. Didn't really pan out. There was a lot of problems with this Broncos team last year. And Fant was still okay last season, like you mentioned. So for some reason this year, he's not getting any of the notoriety or the hype. So in the eighth round, yeah, I think it's a good value. And if there's going to be one of these late round breakout tight ends this season, I know we might consider Fant middle round. But I'd still give him a decent shot of breaking out. It all, and honestly, all comes down to that quarterback play. Like if Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater do give Denver better quarterback play than they've seen in the past couple seasons, than they've seen in Fant's entire career, I think that's all it's going to take for Fant to really return on that value and make you happy you took him in the middle of drafts. So Alex, let's continue the wide receiver, these pass catching options. Let's keep talking about them. Let's get into these mid-late round wide receivers. And we're talking about, you know, the Sutton-Judy range, which we just broke down with the Denver Broncos. We're talking about names like Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Curtis Samuel, Jarvis Landry, Devonta Smith, LaVisca Chenault, Corey Davis, Antonio okay. Brown. Kind of rounds, what, six, seven, eight, maybe nine? Yep, exactly, exactly. And that's a range where it's almost like pick your poison, mm-hmm. you know, and and – when you hit that spot, typically you're either looking for a flex or a wide receiver three in most leagues. If we're talking a 12-team PPR, half-point PPR draft, or you're looking as a, at a super deep wide receiver two if you've already addressed all the other positions. Alex, I got two players that I'm targeting every single time when I'm looking at receivers in this range. I'm curious if you have one or two that you're going for as well. I actually like a lot of the guys in this group. I think this is a little value pocket for wide receivers. And if I'm waiting and I'm going with that third running back earlier, I'm going with that early tight end, or we talked about Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson fall to the sixth round. I'm smashing all day long. So if any of those things, any of those variables happen 
early in drafts, I might end up drafting my wide receiver three or my flex right here. And I love the rosters that come out of it because there are so many names in this range that I like. The two guys I see you're going to talk about, I absolutely love. But the first one I'm going to pick here is going to be, we'll go Antonio Brown. We'll go back to the well, talking about some of these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We mentioned the Bucs offense earlier, and I just think AB is a huge value right now in drafts. On underdog right now, he's going as the wide receiver 43 in the eighth round. And on fantasy pros, his ADP is wide receiver 46 going in the ninth round. So just an incredible value considering Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are both going in round four. Tampa Bay, you mentioned it earlier on the pod, but I'll go ahead and go through some of these offensive statistics again. They were sixth in pass attempts in 2020, second in pass yards, second in pass touchdowns. So there's so much volume to go around in Tampa. And Antonio Brown was much better than people remember last season. He played eight games in 2020, and this was his average stat line in those eight games. And remember, he was coming back off the streets, getting incorporated into an offense on the fly. So it's not like he had tons of time to prep. And he got seven and a half targets a game, five and a half receptions, 60 yards, and half a touchdown per game. So that's a 16-game pace of 90 receptions, 966 yards, and eight touchdowns. And PPR leagues, that's a fantastic low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. And if you actually look at all eight games that Antonio Brown played, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were both active for that entire span. And when those three guys shared the field, Mm. AB was the wide receiver 22 over that span. Godwin was the wide receiver 17, and Evans was the wide receiver 11. So Brown was still third in the pecking order, but he was still a top 24 wide receiver, a wide receiver two. Right now he's being drafted as a wide receiver four, And if you look at Antonio Brown's season, he had more points per game than DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, or CeeDee Lamb. So he produced at a very high level. I'm comfortable with him as my wide receiver three because if I'm taking him as my three in the eighth, ninth round, it means I'm stacked at running back or I have an elite quarterback or an elite tight end. So give me all the A-B in rounds eight and nine. And the great thing about Antonio Brown is he also is still going to provide that weekly upside He had some big games last season, that boom potential in week 15. This one's not as big, but five catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown. Very, very solid. And then in week 17, he really blew up 11 receptions, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. So A.B. is a guy I'm targeting early and often in that eighth, ninth round as an extreme value. The upside is there in the Bucs offense. This could be a historic offense when we look back at the end of the 2021 season. Let me talk about a guy that I have the most shares of, a guy that I get in almost every draft (laughs) in this range. Sometimes he falls brutally low. I'm starting to see other guys, especially in the mocks that we're doing in our Discord channel. Link to that in the description down below. If you want to do mock drafts with us, get prepped for this redraft season. You know, maybe it's just the fact that I'm all over Curtis Samuel. I keep pushing him, but I, I do see in those mocks, he goes a little bit earlier, but... Curtis Samuel is a guy that I'm targeting in every single draft as either a super deep wide receiver two or a weekly wide receiver three flex type of name. And for Curtis Samuel, it took him four years. He finally had that breakout season and it was great timing because he was in a contract year in Carolina in 2020. So now he comes into a fully revamped Washington football team offense had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage last year. 200 of those yards were on the ground. And I think that that volume that Curtis Samuel got on the ground is going to 
remain constant because he's staying with the Turner offensive coordinator system. He's going back to an offense with a head coach that drafted him. They're going to know how to use Curtis Samuel, and I think he will get touches on the ground. So I'm not worried about that. I think that volume will still be there. And then you look at everything else. He's a 24-year-old, still super young. He's an explosive playmaker. He's been explosive since he was in college. And now he's stepping into a clear number two role behind Terry McLaurin, tethered to Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he was already good in a number three role last year. So why would he not smash in a wide receiver two role in a situation where he knows how to be utilized and the air yards and the high value receptions should be there. So I love this ADP right now. He's a guy I'm all in on this year. I'm buying him in all formats and Fitzmagic is going to have this team competing in shootouts in the NFC East. When I look at the schedule, I think the Washington football team might have the best schedule for fantasy this season. They have the Chargers in week one. They also play the Chiefs and the Raiders. They have the Bills, the Packers, and the Seahawks on the schedule. And then they have the Buccaneers, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Panthers. And that's on top of playing the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Eagles twice. So week to week, I could see Curtis Samuel having a high floor and having those explosive boom upside games where he gets you know, a 50-yard carry on the ground or ends up catching two touchdowns or is just peppered with targets. And you can go back and look at the film. I did it casually. I didn't do like a full in-depth breakdown where I sat there for four hours. But just going through, watching some of the tape from last year, Curtis Samuel was wide open and Kyle Allen just, just didn't see him or couldn't get the ball there. So I'm so excited for Curtis Samuel. And even if, because this is the pushback I'm seeing right now in the YouTube comments where we got guys talking about players like that we've never even heard of that are like junior college prospects. <laughs> if it's Taylor Heineke, cause that, that's what I'm hearing. Oh, you, you guys are all talking about Ryan Fitzmagic. What about Taylor Heineke? We're seeing beat reports that he's going to be the starter. I, I'll concede. I'll, I'll concede on that point because Fitzpatrick has never started an entire season for an NFL mm-hmm. team in his entire career. He's never played all 16 games. Now this, we go to 17 games. Even if it is Taylor Heineke, I think that's still fine for the floor. Yes, I think it ruins some of the upside that that exciting Fitzmagic is going to give us. But regardless, they're going to be in positive game scripts where Samuel is going to need to take over and be a strong number two option for an offense that should be pretty fun. I think the Washington football team just acquired a better J.D. McKissick that's also going to be a receiver when he's not in the backfield. I mean, that's how I look at this role because – You mentioned Ron Rivera loves Curtis Samuel. He was part of the regime that drafted him, reportedly tried to trade for him during the 2020 season, if you want to Google that one real quick. They love him. They love him. Yeah, and me me comparing him to that J.D. McKissick role, no, I don't think he's going to be a running back on this team, but he is going to be a receiver that is going to have a floor weekly because of the target volume he sees in this offense. But I do think he is going to be creatively utilized out of the backfield. He's going to get carries. He's going to be all over the place. He's going to be on jet sweep screens. They're going to find ways to get the ball in his hands. Because of that, I think it does give him a floor. And you said it. This is a player we've seen time and time again. He can take any play to the house. So I love the talent of Curtis Samuel. He has a coaching staff that's going to know how to use him. And now he gets the quarterback that could give him the volume and the downfield targets that are highly valuable and hopefully catchable 
um, in 2021. So there are a couple of concerns with Samuel. You know, you mentioned if it's Taylor Heineke, it's not quite as good of a situation, but he should still be fine. You have the strong defense that might lead to them running the ball a little bit more. Who knows? Fitzpatrick might not need to be in these shootout games. But I think those are the things that are pushing his ADP down a little bit, when in reality, he should probably be going in that sixth round range with guys like Jerry, Judy, and Devontae Smith. So Steph, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my next wide receiver I'm targeting in these middle rounds. It's someone I've been hyping up time and time again, I feel like for the last two seasons, but I haven't really gotten a good chance to hype him up this redraft season. And it's Michael Gallup on the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm afraid that Hard Knocks is going to give so many of these Dallas Cowboys that Hard Knocks bump where they're not going to be values anymore. But hopefully Michael Gallup can continue to slide under the radar like he's done so far so I can keep scooping him up late in these drafts. Because right now he's going as wide receiver 36 on underdog fantasy. That's in the seventh round. And Fantasy Pros ADP has him as wide receiver 47 in the ninth round. That's an absolute steal for a guy like Michael Gallup. You're essentially getting him as your wide receiver four. And if you look at last season, which was an absolute train wreck for the Dallas Cowboys in most ways, with that Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, Garrett Gilbert experience, I think I might have made names up there. I don't really know. (laughs) He was still the wide receiver 38. Michael Gallup was the wide receiver 38. So why is he being drafted as the wide receiver 47 right now when we saw the floor last season at wide receiver 38? He's already proven his upside to me back in 2019 when he posted 1,100 yards and six touchdowns in just 14 games, finishing as the PPR wide receiver 22. So I know that upside, that big play potential is there. And I think he's just being pushed further and further down boards because of all the hype around Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. And I do think Alp's going to be third on this team in targets, but Dallas doesn't, you know, look at him as their wide receiver three. Like in fantasy football and anyone that's an analyst for football, they like to talk about, oh, that's their wide receiver one, their wide receiver two, their wide receiver three. Teams don't think of their receivers necessarily in a pecking order. They think about starters and non-starters and utility players and all these kind of things. Because if you look at Michael Gallup last season, he was not their wide receiver three. Maybe in terms of targets he was, but he was on the field all the time. He played more snaps than Amari Cooper. He played more snaps than CeeDee Lamb. He was actually second in the NFL in snaps. The only wide receiver that played more snaps last year than Michael Gallup was DeAndre Hopkins. So he's out there full time. He's always stretching the field. And if you get a competent quarterback like Dak Prescott that can push the ball down the field to a guy like Michael Gallup, you're now getting these high value targets. And that's what I want in the eighth, ninth round. I want that wide receiver four that's going to give me that weekly boom upside um, and, and just be a guy I can plug in as my flex on bye weeks and win me a week. That's what you're getting in Michael Gallup. He also ran the second most routes last season. So he's not a wide receiver three. He's a starting wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. He saw six and a half targets a game last season, which is really all he needs because, you know, if you look back at his 2019 season with Dak Prescott, he was seeing 16.8 yards per catch. So just an absolute downfield threat, a guy who can get it done uh, after the catch as well. And with Dak back in 2021, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Michael Gallup score seven, eight touchdowns and post another 1100 yards. I don't think this is something that has to be at the expense of Amari Cooper or a CeeDee Lamb, we see teams support three wide receivers all the time. We've talked about it with Cincinnati this year, with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, 
and with Tyler Boyd. We talked about the Carolina Panthers last year, for crying out loud, with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback and a low-pass volume offense. They had three top 24 PPR receivers in fantasy football. So if they can do it, by all means, this Dallas Cowboys team with another bad defense in 2021 is going to be able to do it with three talented receivers. So I will admit that Michael Gallup is a player that's going to be a little bit more volatile on a week-to-week basis. You know, he's going to have those weeks where he has six for 120 and two touchdowns and he wins you your week. But he can also go quiet for like a two-reception 30-yard game. That's just the reality of the situation for a guy getting in the ninth round. But I will say the real upside for Michael Gallup on the full season comes in if Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb miss any time. If that was to happen... Michael Gallup's going to be a must-start every single week for your entire season. And even if that doesn't happen because we don't wish injuries on anyone, I think where he's going in drafts right now is just an absolute steal for a plug-in guy that can win you a week. You're not going to find that with a lot of these players late in drafts. Gallup can play a role that I don't believe Cooper and Lamb can play. He can play the outside field stretcher role. Think DJ Moore last year. Think Mike Williams. Mike Williams is a guy that everyone's excited about because he's this outside contested catch monster. That's the role that Michael Gallup can play. And you're right. That's going to produce league winning performances. I think back to last year, started the year off. And I had Gallup in a lot of spots last season. Cause and, you know, you and I were all over that Cowboys offense. Mm-hmm. We had Jarwin everywhere. I had Zeke everywhere. Gallup everywhere. I know you were all in on CD lamb and his ADP as a rookie. And we saw that pay dividends in Gallup in my flex spot was fine, right? It's eight points, eight points, and then 26 fantasy points. Those are the type of weeks, even with the volatility mixed in, that you're going to get with Michael Gallup. But that's the same thing that you're getting to a degree in like a Tyler Lockett, where it's just the guys that just the nature of how they play, the nature of their offenses are going to be a little bit more boom bust, but you don't need them to put up 26 fantasy points every single week to deliver at that value. All right. So Alex talked about Curtis Samuel, a wide receiver that can get carries out of the backfield. There's another receiver that I think is poised to break out this year. And that's another guy I'm grabbing everywhere in this range. It's LaVisca Chenault. And in some drafts, when I'm able to get stud quarterback, stud tight end, stud running backs, and I'm circling back and, and trying to address the wide receiver core in those mid rounds. If I can get Curtis Samuel and LaVisca Chenault, I feel great about it. Mm-hmm. And with Chenault, it's interesting because there's ambiguity about the receivers and the roles that they're going to play. We don't know if DJ Chark 2020 season was a result of bad quarterback play or injury, or maybe he's not as good as we thought he was with him getting outproduced and outsnapped by Keelan Cole and Colin Johnson you know, these undrafted guys we've never heard of. Maybe it's Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones Jr. coming from Detroit, reuniting with Darren Bevel. A lot of folks think that Marvin Jones could take over the X role in this offense. But the one solid option in all that ambiguity is LaVisca Chenault. And last year, he was used really is a, a you know near the line of scrimmage, short yardage, think Debo Samuel type of receiver. 
But I think that could actually change. And I think the reason his ADP is so low is because folks are putting him into that box. They're putting him into that Juju mm-hmm. Smith-Schuster box where, oh, nope, he's just going to get these weak, you know, four-yard checkdowns. So that's really all he's going to do. Maybe he can produce some yards after the catch, but not going to get those high-value touches. But when you look at LaVisca Chanel as a player, he he has A.J. Brown size. He's an athletic freak. And he impressed in his rookie year in a terrible offense and and so as a rookie we're talking about 600 receiving yards 91 rushing yards so looking at Curtis Samuel same type of situation in his last five games Chanel took it to the next level ended the season on a tear 15.8 11.1 9.4 15.8 and then 24.6 fantasy points on the last five games of the season I think that window that snapshot of those last five games of 2020 could be a sign of things to come for LaVisca Chenault, making him a stable option with upside at this phenomenal ADP of the mid-seventh round. I think he's going to get used in creative ways on the ground and should be on the field a ton, assuming all remains constant. Now, the pushback on LaVisca Chenault is, well, he's more Corderell Patterson than Curtis Samuel, and maybe so. And that's baked into the ADP here. But just based on what he did as a rookie, I don't believe that to be the case. He looks fluid. He is able to play the big slot role and create yards after the catch. He is a wide receiver in a running back's body. And even (laughs) if you watch him move on the field, the way he's juking guys, the way he's stiff-arming, looks like he is a running back. And you add all that in with the fact that he starts the year in a streamable matchup against the Texans. He also plays the Titans twice and has the Cardinals, the Bengals, the Seahawks, and the Bills in his 2021 future. So he has a solid schedule, and then he gets Trevor Lawrence coming in to be his quarterback. I mean, imagine how much higher in ADP we would have LaVisca Chenault if we woke up tomorrow and Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert was the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, and, and we're getting the discount because Trevor Lawrence is a rookie, We do have a rookie head coach in Jacksonville, and those are things that I'm willing to say, look, I'm willing to put my chips in on them despite some of the unknown variables here because that's where league-winning picks come from. They don't come from these guys that are you know, in the mid-rounds and we know what they're going to do or they're high-floor plays like Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry's not going to win you a league. Tyler Boyd's not going to win you a league. But if you can wait a few rounds and put your chips in on a guy that could ascend in an offense that could ascend – you yes. got to feel great about that. The defense still needs work in Jacksonville. So I expect the pass volume to be there. All these factors get me so excited for LaVisca Chenault this year. I'm pumped. Let's go. Dude, you just got me so hyped. I'm going to be taking LaVisca Chenault in all the leagues we're in together, so you better watch out. Um, honestly, if you wouldn't have picked him for your list, I would have picked him for mine. You beat me to it. But you look at this situation, it couldn't be better for LaVisca Chanel. I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence specifically, and Trevor Lawrence loved Amari Rodgers at Clemson. Amari Rodgers was a guy who got 20% target share last year at Clemson. And now you look at Jacksonville, and LaVisca Chanel is a bigger, faster, stronger, more explosive version of Amari Rodgers. That same role that Trevor Lawrence loved to give the ball to at Clemson. So... This Jacksonville team, you said it, they're going to pass the ball a ton. I mean, they were seventh in pass attempts last season with the Gardner-Minchu 
Mike Glennon, oh. Jake Luton experience. So now you get Trevor Lawrence. I, I can't imagine this team not throwing the ball, you know, in the top 10 teams in the NFL. I think their attempts are going to be through the roof. LaVisca Chenault should be a pretty highly targeted player in this offense. He should get creatively utilized, you know, maybe on some jet sweeps out of the backfield as well. I think Urban Meyer is really, really going to like LaVisca Chenault. So wheels up for him. And I, I agree with you. I think if you want a league winning type player in these middle rounds, LaVisca Chenault is the perfect guy to target. And our mid round league winners last year were Michael Gallup. Deontay Johnson, I remember him being one in the eighth round. We were smashing all day. CeeDee Lamb was there too. So these are guys that, while there's a lot of ambiguity, there's question marks on their situation or what they're going to do in 2021 and beyond, this is where we can make those smart picks that allow us to address the other positions and accrue value later. At wide receiver, you don't want to overextend your roster. Well, Alex, I think that's it for today's show. Checking the boxes on a lot of wide receivers to be targeting in these redraft leagues. But again, if you guys like the show, you want to join the conversation with us, hit that Discord link in the comments below. Or if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, just check the description. And again, if you like the show, a like and a sub on YouTube, always, always greatly appreciated. That's the biggest thing right now that can help us. And we got some huge things in the works. Don't want to go too deep into it. We do have a fantasy draft kit on our channel. You can go and check that out with all of the players hitting on almost every single one and continuously adding more to that. But thank you all so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.